Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Before going on vacation, Eben Noby Williams, our partner, joined us for an interview with the Sport Radar CEO, Carlston Carl. We'll get to that in a few minutes, but we got a good substitute. We have we, a great substitute. We have your son, Jackson. Makes a lot less money than Eben, and frankly, <laughs> I don't think delivers all that much less. <laughs> Say hello, Jackson. Salutations, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Dad. Be- better than Evan. Better than Evan. <laughs> I got to ask you something real quick, Jackson. My son, he plays Fortnite too, and he's teaching me how to play Fortnite. Now, I, I, you, you play Fortnite, and you're pretty good at it, from what I understand. I'm pretty good at it. Mm, I'm pretty decent. Not that. I watched, and you finished in like 49th place this morning. Is that good? No, not really. All right. Well, that's what I saw him do. <laughs> Let's, we're going to get back to Fortnite later. Let's start with uh, Kobe Bryant and an investment. <laughs> he made a nice investment. Let's put it that way. Talk about return on investment, Bar. And this all goes back to sort of that event I was at in San Francisco. Athletes, tech, venture. Remember the old days? This would have been in the old days. Kobe saying, yeah, pay me a couple of million dollars. I'll go on TV, do a commercial for Body Armor. And maybe people will drink it, maybe people won't. No, no, no. That's not how it works these days. Now it's give me equity. You don't have to pay me as much, but I want equity in the company. And if it pays off, it pays off. So Kobe's investment in this was about $6 million. Guess what his, his stake is worth nowadays post-Coca-Cola investment? More than 30 times. $200 million. This is the kind of ways, or one of the ways in which these athletes can generate the kind of wealth where they fulfill the dream of not just being rich, not just flying on private planes, but ownership of teams, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. You're going to see more and more athletes in their post-playing days be part of ownership groups, be general partners of ownership groups, because they can generate this kind of wealth. He's the fourth largest investor in this brand, right? Yeah, that's exactly where he stands. And if, I mean, again, this is an investment from Coke. Let's see where it goes from here. If it builds further, more money for Kobe. Uh, Let's move on to La Liga and uh, the U.S. joint venture involved. What is that all about? Well, you and I always talk about soccer in this country. You're now a believer, right? I am a believer. We, We swung you. And we do wonder in MLS, we still wonder about the underpinnings of the valuations on these teams because the broadcast contract is not there. Let's see when it's up, what it becomes in an OTT world where everybody's fighting for significant content. Let's see what it becomes. But again, Jackson, Saturday mornings, do you like watching the European Soccer League, the the English Premier League? Yep. Yeah, so that's one of the things you like. Do you like going to see Red Bull and NYCFC? Yep. There's their nine-year-old. Yes, he (laughs) likes to do these things too. That's all you needed to hear though. Yep and yep. And that's why these companies are investing in bringing teams over here because the best players in the world, and even MLS, they understand. This is going to be about, can you bring the best players into this league? That's where the eyeballs are. Now, let's talk about that, though, bringing the best into this, which is something the U.S. has had a bit of an issue with because the best football players have played overseas, but that is starting to shift now. Yeah, you're starting to see, I mean, you have Ibra, uh, David Villa, 
Um, are these prime of their career? No, not yet. That, but that's not where MLS is. Uh, Wayne Rooney just came over. So will it generate enough revenue at some time? Will the owners switch to a model where they can sustain paying the top flight players the top salaries that required to bring them here. Well, this is a good time to now segue into Cristiano Ronaldo. I knew you were going to have an easy time with this segue. (laughs) I knew it. Talk about getting paid. Well, I mean, we see this influencer marketing, and what's the number now? If you want Ronaldo to put something on Instagram in a paid post, $750,000 per. How's that? Now, you tell me, Jackson, does this work? Ronaldo, what other soccer players do you really like? I, you, I know Cristiano Ronaldo, right? Uh, who, who else do you like? I, myself, is not a fan of soccer, but I enjoy watching it and right. playing it. Yeah. But uh, I, for all my friends, yeah, they would say all the big stars, uh, Messi, Ronaldo, um, Iniesta. Neymar. Neymar. Right. A whole bunch of people. So if, But if Ronaldo says, I drink Coke, you should drink Coke too. Would your friends drink Coke? Uh, I believe so. So that that, but that's why they pay. There you go, Bar. I mean, I love having this perspective, because this is really what it's about. He has that kind of they call it influence marketing. Here you go. I'm telling you, old man Barber go to Pele, but that's another story. I, I would too. See, so, but there we, you and I are in the same bracket on that one. By the way, thank you very much, Jackson. You are superb. Oh, you're welcome. Lots to talk about, as you can see, this week. So let's move on now to our interview with Sport Radar CEO Karsten Carl. Karsten is the founder and chief executive officer of Sport Radar AG. Karsten has strategically led all aspects of Sport Radar's business since founding the group in 2001, driving the growth of the company from a tech-focused startup to a global leader in delivering essential sports data and audiovisual content across a range of platforms and media. Prior to founding Sport Radar, Karsten held a number of management positions within the software development and gaming industry. He was the founder of BWIN and led the company through one of the most successful public listings ever undertaken on the Vienna stock market. I don't know about you, Bar. I'm out of breath, though. I'll tell you that much. Karsten, my friend, thanks for joining us. And let's start with saying that I guess it's appropriate that you're here because so much of what Sport Radar is looking to do is in the United States. Everybody knows Sport Radar in Europe. The U.S., though, that's a new frontier for you. Oh, well, look, we are working now since four years here in the, in the U.S., so I hope a couple of guys are knowing us already. But you are right, so it's an exciting market. It's the biggest market we have, and it is something which we try to attack best we can, full speed. What are you trying to do? What's, what's on the to-do <clears throat> list one, two, and three? Well, the number one is we are a technology company. Um, looking to the U.S., this is the exciting opportunity to use technology in an area where we collect data and information and assemble this with AI and machine learning. I would say this is the most important for us, um, underlying in all our vertical markets. The second one, as you might know, or as you know very well, is the sports betting opportunity. We had that regulation. Are people talking about that these days? Oh, <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of guys are speaking about this. Um, so this is a super exciting market. And the third one is that we're saying, well, the media industry um, 
is the biggest piece of it is worldwide here in the US. So they need some innovative solutions. So these are the three things which are so exciting about it. I am holding up my wallet because I love gambling. Yes. <laughs> I just snatched yeah, well, I, I, I could have told you you shouldn't do this. Well, while Boris is asking the question, I'm going to go through this. Down I in go. <laughs> the, the whole market, as you mentioned, about sports gambling, I mean, this is huge for the U.S. And as you mentioned, it's huge for you guys. Can you take us more into detail about what it means for you guys while I get my wallet back from Scott. <laughs> the wallet you can have is the contents well, I'd worry about. I, I think you lost that. But <laughs> look, um, I think um, the overall assumption is, um, and that is a common understanding worldwide, the U.S. is probably a third of the worldwide sports betting market. Um, and uh, as we all know, uh, that was it was not allowed to do sports betting in the U.S. And we had some channels where the money was flowing outside of the country. So we have some feeling about this, what has happened worldwide. Looking now into the regulation opportunity, well, I can't see any other industry in the world looking to the size and to the regulation, which is opening up from one moment to another. And this is the exciting time. So people speaking about a market volume of a 15 billion or a 20 billion, I'm telling GGY, so this is the gross gaming yield. Some others are saying it's only 10 billion. But given that size, 10 to 20 billion in a developed market, which is opening up from one moment to another, I have not many samples worldwide where you see that volume. Why is the U.S. a third of the of the global betting market? Is, is it because the sports here are so ingrained in the population? Is <laughs> it the technology, the infrastructure? No, well, look, it's a, it's a mix. Um, uh, if you look now to to the U.S. sport fans, um, they're pretty unique if it comes to how they see data and information around sport. So the depth and breadth of the data is pretty unique in the U.S. When I'm walking here on the street, I see sports information everywhere. If you open your eyes, you see data, you see tickets, you see that everywhere on the street in New York. I don't have any comparison worldwide, and I'm traveling 220, 230 days every year in many cities where you have that feeling sport data is really part of the society. Having data being part of the society means people are very much up in predictions, very much up into challenging their view about it, discussing it. And this is, I think, making the ingredients for being a perfect sports betting market. Let's think about what Carson just said, though. You have to laugh. I mean, you are really into your, your business. Yes. When you can walk the streets of New York, and yeah. what you see is sports data. Yes. <laughs> I there's a lot of things on the streets in New York, <laughs> and you're picking out sports data opportunities. Yeah. It's so different, uh, and uh, that's, the, that's the exciting thing. A lot of the things you just said also sound like they are ingrained in, in China, in Japan, in Korea. What about the Asian opportunity? Obviously, laws are mm. not as defined over there as, as they have been in Europe and maybe will be in the U.S. moving forward. Well, look, um, Asia is, uh, is for me personally, um, a big obstacle. And um, it is something where... Is it <clears throat> frustrating that, that no, it's an obstacle? No, absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. It's, uh, it's a challenge and it's a, it's a big opportunity. But um, I think understanding China is, um, is something I, I prefer first to be successful in America before I try to begin to understand what is ongoing in China. We are dipping with our toe there into the water. But um, this is something where we have to work very intensively in the next years. Um, mm -hmm. Our mission now is focusing on the U.S. and get that right. Mm -hmm. A couple a couple months ago now, as a lot of our viewers know, as you know, the Supreme Court made a pretty uh, monumental decision allowing I, states I, I to legalize it. I heard about what that. Was that. What was that day like at, at Sport Radar offices? Were you guys popping champagne? <clears throat> Did you... <clears throat> 
Finally. I was popping shit. I know. Well, you need to look that you get your wallet back from Scott. Or needs another opportunity to lose his money. <laughs> no, it was a very normal working day. So um, uh, what you do is... Um, uh, we, what we had at this time is uh, we had uh, a schedule and saying uh, the Supreme Court is deciding on a Monday or on a Wednesday or on a Friday. And we had all that dates in our schedule, knowing that the decision might come on one of those days. And surprisingly, um, to our surprise, it has happened quicker than we thought. We anticipated uh, the Supreme Court might decide at the end of the term. But they decided quite on the beginning, which was the only surprise. The rest is, of course, you are prepared for those things. And, of course, it's a long-term plan over three years, which we execute there. So that was only a question of some days or weeks to get that decision. We're speaking with Karsten Carl, the CEO of Sports Radar. Can we break down the data that you provide? Because it's for many sports, for the NFL, for the NHL. For NASCAR. That's right, NASCAR. He's a NASCAR guy. We know nothing about it. He's, he knows every guy. Ask him about the 1979 Daytona 500. He'd be very happy. I see, I see. You, you break it down. So what, can you provide how that data is broken down and, and how it benefits people like me trying to bet? <laughs> Look, um, First, the data is not only used for betting, it's also used for analytical purposes right. by teams, by trainers, consumption by fans, storytelling products for the medias, etc. PP. So the data is used in many verticals. Um, the best to break it down is, um, first, speak about the scope. I think we cover at the moment 62 sports. Um, yeah. So it is not only the things which you know, the NASCAR or the golf or the college sports or basketball or baseball. It is also something like Rakuten or, do you know Rakuten? When I, when I was at your, your New York office a yeah. couple months ago, handball was yes. on all the TVs. Handball is, is a I game where... I see the World Championship is going on. Let's break that down. Did, did you see the smoke that just came out of my... What? Who? What? Yeah. The gears came to a grind. We're used all. to seeing you can do well, you know. So the coverage is is worldwide and, um, and that makes us pretty unique. So we are worldwide and uh, we have a 24 seven um, operation collecting that information. Um, so the collection of the information is either done by a network of operators, which are down on the ground. We have six to 7,000 of them, or it is done by operation centers where we have worldwide five operation centers in every continent where we are interested in. Um, so this is the first level of, of that uh, data collection. The next one is, you have more and more um, IoT systems which are penetrating the sports. Uh, NASCAR is a good sample. So they provide now sensoric systems and information about wheel spin, engine spin, traction, and whatsoever, things which a human being can't collect. Um, um, the challenge here is more a technology challenge. You get um, exponential-wise more data points, um, and those data points need interpretation. As you know, we have a partnership with the NFL, an exclusive partnership for data distribution. That includes also tracking data from sensoric chips, which are in the shoulder bolts of the players. So what you need to do with those things is you need to get it into a meaning, and getting it into a meaning, you need to assemble data points with machine learning and AI exercises. So this is the next level, which is now coming. Karsten, at a recent meeting between Adam Silver and Jim Murin, yeah. they talked about, the MGM CEO, they talked about the value of the official data. So MGM paid, in essence, $25 million over three years, and this is just the fledgling deal. Mm -hmm. But they paid for the right to be the official designator betting partner, 
and the right to use that NBA logo, but most importantly, the official data stream. What is the value now and where are we headed in a sports betted world in the value of official data and why? Mm. Well, it's... um. It's a difficult question. So, and and you phrase it specifically into the connection with the U.S. Um, what I can tell you worldwide, um, what the betting market is telling us is um, that the betting market is interested in quality data. Um, not so much is that official or is that not official. Or what is the classification? It must be precise exact and fast data. This is what the betting market is interested in. If that precise, fast and exact data is official data, the betting market is super happy with it. Um, and the betting operators are super happy with it to pay for this. Um, this is only a question of the financial arrangement. And there's a huge debate around this, as you know. You guys have, you're obviously partners with almost every major league here in the US in some capacity. Uh, how different do you think different leagues are going to approach Sports gambling. The day that, that Jim Murren and Adam Silver mm. sat together, Gary Bettman, the NHL commissioner, was across town mm. talking about how he wants to have a say and how this works. You know, the yeah. leagues seem to be moving at very yeah. different paces Absolutely. right now. Well, look, um, the, the good situation for us is we started that four years ago here. We are the only partner, official partner, data partner of the leagues. Um, we have partnerships with NFL. We have partnership with baseball. We have partnership with the NBA, as you mentioned, and with NHL. In most of the capacities, we cover that data partnership in betting and in media. And uh, so far, we have um, betting data partnerships with the federations up outside of the U.S. And we are beginning now to discuss um, how can that look like in the US and what is the right model here. Um, and and it's a debate where regulators have a say, it's a debate where we mix in now integrity and all those kind of things, but this is currently running. And, um, and I don't have a final answer where this will end up. I think it should end up in a way that we're saying the betting operators should get valid, fast data and quality data, and we should cover the integrity issues. Do you get the sense that you know, a league like the NBA is approaching this in a in a fundamentally different way than, say, the NCAA or, or the NFL? Absolutely, and you yeah. know this. So the NBA is the front runner. Um, the NBA was the first to say there is a huge opportunity for sports and sports betting. The NBA was always saying it's a win-to-win -win situation for the sport fans, for the leagues, and for the teams, and they're paving this way. And uh, we are very proud to be their partner, and it's for us a very important partnership, but same for the other sports. Mm -hmm. We're speaking with Karsten Carl, the CEO of Sports Radar. And like Mo the bartender said to uh, Homer Simpson, that beer isn't free. Sports Radar, it isn't free. So can you break down what the different kind of packages? I mean, obviously, when the teams want their analytics, there's a totally different package. But for Joe Blow like me, and maybe I want some of the data... <laughs> What are we looking at for cost? I never got the Homer Simpson comparison. <laughs> I love that. I love that one. Um, look, we are we are pure B two B business, and um, <clears throat> so we are serving at the moment around um, seven hundred international sports betting operators worldwide, uh, including lotteries, including digital players, including retail players, including the casinos. So all in all, let's say it's a seven hundred. Um, in the media space, we serve around about 1,500 companies. And the media is a, is a broad mix. It is a mix of uh, broadcasters, full digital media, guys which are on that step to convert print into 
digital space. So this is a broad mix, startups, very innovative social companies. So this is um, the mix which we have. Unfortunately, uh, we can't serve our services to you because we are dedicated to a B2B space and I guess you're not a company. Right? I had early retirement all <laughs> Big set, Bar Sports man. Incorporated. Or <laughs> there's Bar Stool and Big Bar. One has revenue, one does not. Oh. Hey, Karsten, what are, you, what are the sorts of things you're working on with the networks? My moles at Fox tell me the way they put it, yeah. we're working on some cool stuff with Sport Radar. Cool, huh? Cool. Cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, cool. What's the viewing experience? How, what's that enhancement going to look like? Or what might it look like? Well, um, look, it is all about um, the challenge to have now much more data points than we have before. And that comes, of course, from sensoric systems. And, um, and the cool stuff is what can you read out of sensors, what kind of information, and how can you translate it in something which is exciting for the fan? For example, uh, energy consumption parameters. You can't do that at the moment manually, but the chip can tell you the acceleration of a player. He can, it can tell you what is his speed, what is his average running ways. With this, you can calculate energy consumption of a player. If you summarize this then up, you can calculate an energy consumption from a team. Um, if you know now for an NFL team, uh, what kind of energy level do they have in average? Because you have a let's say 10,000 matches where you know this is the maximum of energy the team can have, you might have an information two minutes before the game is finished that one team is on a 98% energy level consumption, another one maybe 92%. And maybe in the last two minutes, that is giving you the kick to say they might flip the game around. Uh, only a sample. But uh, this is something which is possible with sensoric information, and you need to translate it in something meaningful for the fan. This is the cool things we are working on. You know and how you I know can the value. do that for baseball. Well, you know how I know the value of all of this data these days, Bar. So EQT, which was an investor in Radar, right. recently sold a 35% stake in the company. Valued the company at $2.4 billion. Depending on how you convert it, it was a 2.1 billion euros, uh, but um, it, it is changing a, every what day. What a stickler. What a stickler. <laughs> but I, how dare you, Scott? So yeah, what a stickler. So I, e so I emailed you, though. I said, congratulations. Yeah. And do you remember your response? Well, I, I might have said, no, the work begins now already. The work be and also, yeah. I didn't sell a share. Yes. This why was why was that important for you to, that you you wanted I didn't <clears throat> sell a share look if you if you're not selling that's always a message um and um well you might say Carson is stupid not selling or you might say he is clever because he knows that he can increase that value um or you might say he simply loves what he is doing and he's not caring about those things. And it's maybe a mix of it saying, I love what I'm if doing. If it was Bard, be high on the stupid scale. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw it coming a mile away. You saw that, right? <laughs> so, We've been working together a long time. <laughs> you, uh, you, might, you might say it this way. Or, or, yes, I definitely believe we have huge growth opportunities. We are very well placed. And, um, and why should I sell if I see that growth opportunities? And it gives me more control over what I want to do. And my target was always to say, I want to define my destiny and decide on those things. I can do this now because I'm the majority shareholder and I can do that decisions. And it gives you a comfort if you have 50 plus percent on the company. So you can decide it better. I think you know it here for, from your main shareholder. Ask him what he would do if he has somebody else to tell him what he should do. So I think his answer would be, I'm very happy to be in a position where I am. And he, he's same made goes that pretty for me. clear already. Yeah. And the other people who see the value here, also investors in your company a while back, a few, a few people folks might know, Michael Jordan, 
yes. Mark Cuban, and Ted Leonsis. How important were they in getting Radar some of these deals and in further growth in the U.S.? I think in the U.S. they are enormous important. And, um, and it's something, as a European player coming to the U.S. market, it's a complete different environment. It's another ecosystem, and you need people which are advising you in this ecosystem. You need to learn from them. I'm learning on a daily basis from Ted Leonsis, from Michael Jordan, from Mark Cuban. Whenever I can, I try to catch up with them to learn about the market. And for me, it's incredible value to learn from the best. And this is, in my sector, it's sport. So I think we have the best shareholder mix there. We try to increase now and learn also from other sports. And, and for us, that is uh, something which, which has paid off very well. So this is what we want to do. Is there an example, something that stands out that you've learned from one of those guys that you, <laughs> oh, I, I didn't realize that well, American sports work that way? Look, um, I learned on the very, very beginning that there is a major difference to the European markets I know, but also to the Asian markets I know on the communication level. So people here, uh, a CEO is communicating to a CEO, but a CEO is never communicating to a lower level management, um, which um, which is very unusual in Europe. In mm. Europe, you simply say, well, this is the subject, this is the issue, this is the project, let's do this. It's another network and you're working in other networks um, and you have to get used to it. And I got a good teaching from, on, and you asked on the beginning, what was it? Yes, I got that teaching mm. very quickly. Before we let you go, we, we've made it this far. We haven't discussed integrity at all. Uh, it's becoming kind of a dirty word here in the U.S. Another thing mm. that you guys do, you monitor betting patterns for leagues. You take a look at if there's something suspicious that happens, you'll monitor them. Mm. Is America, is the U.S. ready on an integrity standpoint for, for this influx of sports gambling that's going to take hold, especially mm. once the NFL season starts? No, it's not ready. So it's something where we need to work on. That's the reason why you see that in the debate and why... Um, many people are in this topic, and this is good. So the basic understanding is um, you're going to need to establish a good system to monitor the integrity of the sport. And, uh, and there is a very serious debate ongoing with all the leagues, with all the participants, with all the sports, which is in principle very, very good. If you simply ignore it and say, well, it might be there, um, that would be the wrong approach. So I think it's the right approach, but it's not if you ask me, is it ready? No, it's not ready. Regulatory framework needs to be adopted. A procedure over the leagues needs to be done. You need to look how you store player information, how you use consistently player information over the states which are licensing this. All this needs to be figured out, but it's an important piece. Um, and how dangerous is it? Once the NFL season starts, there's going to be five or six U.S. states that are taking gambling yes. mobile, brick and mortar. We don't have those things in place, as you've said, at least not yet. How dangerous is it to kind of dive in without those in place? Well, look, um, it's, it's not in the way that, that the leagues are on zero, by far not. Um, so I think um, I think all of them are ready when the season is starting, that they have systems in place. Um, they're working on this heavily. Uh, but maybe let me add something else. So for me, sports betting is a win-to-win -win situation for everybody. For the sport fan, he has more excitement. It's for the taxes, more money to collect. And I understand the states are looking into this. Um, for the leagues, an opportunity to get sponsors from the betting industry. For the teams, this is uh, something where they can earn more money. So I think at the end, it's a win-to-win -win situation. It comes with that piece of saying, you don't want to have a team to know a match outcome, or you don't want to have a player knowing I should underperform. 
The same goes for doping, right? Um, you don't want to have this. You don't want to have people giving them injections that they can cycle better on a mountain like the others. So what you need to do is you need to put systems in place to monitor and measure this. And of course, it is a constant it's a constant battle here to be always a little bit better than the ones manipulating it. And this is what we are seeing in this space. But it comes with that responsibility. So in other words, if you see me betting $25 on the Mets to win, you know something's wrong and we're going to investigate. <laughs> I, I thought he was going to say, if but, I saw him cycling yeah, on well, the mountain, but, yeah, but, yeah, you know something's look, wrong. Look, 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 what, I, what I would say on this is you can't bet the 25 bucks because Scott has your wallet. So it's not possible. Scott is preventing you from this. Okay, quickly, Carson, to, to, to wrap things up, what role is there for the players in this? Yeah. The players own a lot of their data yes. or they're trying to. Is there any direct business to be had with the players themselves? There are discussions ongoing with the unions, and this is about chip deployment into, um, yeah, into the wearables or into in, into the shoes or whatsoever. And um, and uh, this is uh, this is quite a very structured debate. Um, looking now into tracking from video systems. Um, that doesn't involve the players. And um, in case of the NBA, you know it's a video tracking. So this is something which is done with tracking cameras, delivering at the end the same kind of information. It's only a question how quickly can you condense this. Karsten Carl, CEO of Sport Radar. It, the time just blew by. Thank you so much for joining us here in studio. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It was Our a pleasure. data says it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Karsten. Thank you. Takeaways from the interview. <laughs> I, I, what an incredible guy. I mean, he started something. I wish. Interesting fellow, no? Yeah, he really is. I, it's, I wish they really had uh, something for me where if I want to get into betting, you have that uh, the cheap gambler betting data betting, that they betting have. 101 betting 101 from the data perspective. But boy, I mean, the, the technology involved in this is remarkable. Tech is remarkable. What I loved is that initially when I sent him the email congratulating him on the EQT stake sale, his immediate response was, I didn't sell a share. And we talked about that as well. Right, right. My takeaway is that Karsten feels as if he has yet to extract all the value out of this company, all the value out of what it can become. He sees things out there in a U.S. open sports betting world and a global market for sports betting, what his company can accomplish not only in the betting industry, but also in media he sees many more dollars to follow. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. This is easy. This hey, is I really hate it when you easy. Say easy. That's no, so much the moment I say it, you're going to be like, oh, come on. You could be more creative. All right. 40.7 million. See, I have no idea what he's talking about. 40.7 million. You're telling me this is super easy? Yes. Yes. 40.7 million. What happened? 40.7 million. I have no idea. That is what New Jersey made. Oh, that's you see what I have so many numbers going through my head. How do you want me to remember In that? In sports betting for the month of July. Well, the promise of tax revenue was there, and it seems as if the promise of tax revenue is a reality. It's we, another revenue stream for the state. And I should add, this that's the first full month of sport betting. Yeah, all these folks, it's, it's funny, all these folks in this industry, and my Lord, it's, it seems like forever ago where I was, I moderated a panel on sports betting on Capitol Hill, 
This is, I mean, only like two years ago, and it seems like ages ago because here we are and it's happening. But all of the strategists who, of course, were on the side of let's make this happen, they said the number one talking point should be revenue, 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 <laughs> tax revenue, jobs, jobs, tax revenue. That's what we need to push here. But now we're seeing, yes, it is a talking point. Of course, it came from their point of view, but it's true. And here's the proof. You know what? what's remarkable is uh, the, the number one job that really is going to get a big boost out of this, and I read this several weeks ago, the accountant. Sure. You, know, but you have to crunch the numbers. you got to know what's what. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, plus online as an Apple podcast. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. Big Bar, and I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. And thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.